Welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Gary Guyman with me today. How are you, Gary? I'm doing well, and thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Let me tell you a little bit about Gary. He was born in Santa Clara, California, and he grew up all over California. He played sports, ran track, and played football, and was an editor of the literary magazine. He started an accounting firm centered all around the California Enterprise Program. He is now a sales manager at ExpertNet. So, Gary, tell us, how did you go from playing sports, traveling around the state, to becoming a sales manager? Yeah, so, um, well, I played sports in high school. I mostly coached in in college. I ran a little bit of club track um, and competed uh, on that level, but I never ran collegiately. But I interned while I was in college at a, a tax accounting firm. And they specialize in the California Enterprise Zone, which really helped out economically distressed areas throughout California to help give them a tax credit. And it was something that that was very fulfilling and it, it gave me an opportunity to have a career coming straight out of college. And uh, one of uh, my mentors at the tax accounting firm uh, elected to start a new firm with me. So I got licensed as a tax repair and uh, we started from the ground up, no customer base, no anything, just figured we could figure it out as we went along. And we built it from nothing and uh, sustained it for about seven and a half years when uh, the governor of California elected to uh, shut down the program. And my business partner at the time wanted to convert our tax firm into just a traditional accounting firm, which wasn't really something that I wanted to do. So I elected to to sell him my portion of the company, and uh, I just uprooted and went to uh, Seattle, Washington. One of my buddies played football for uh, the University of Washington and convinced me to move up there. So I went up, just kind of took a retail job, sort of on a hiatus to figure out what I wanted to do in my next career steps. And uh, I was uh, contacted by a telecommunications company called NTT Communications. They're a Japanese company, Fortune 100. And I had never heard of them before. So I did some some research. Uh, it was very, very interesting. I'm the, the kind of person who likes to take opportunities based on how much I can learn and can grow in that industry. And uh, being that the job that was presented to me was centered around uh, the internet and the internet is changing every single day. I mean, the growth potential is limitless. So uh, I kind of jumped at the opportunity Started at the bottom from an inside sales rep uh, and worked my way up to a global account manager. And then I was uh, recruited by Xfernet, who was a customer of NTT Communications. So I really hit it off with the CTO. They flew me out to Los Angeles to meet the CEO. And then we hit it off as well. I think my interview was about like seven or eight hours while I was down here. Uh, I was went from dinner to rooftop of the building to just everywhere, just talking. And then uh, needless to say, I accepted the position, but I originally started as a global sales manager and then I worked my way up to what I am now as a VP of sales. Mm. So your journey in life, you started out as as an accountant and then you decided, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to take a different step. And you took a huge leap and just moved to another state. So when you moved to another state and you decided to get into retail, did you miss anything about being in that accounting world? I think I kind of missed the uh, 
just going after the customer base. I mean, you work in a retail store, people just walk in, they have a specific need and your only job is to sort of upsell them. There is no real like hunting involved in that. And I, I miss that because I mean, that was a huge part of, of what we did is we were cold calling, going door to door back when that was still relevant. And uh, that part of it was something that I found to really love. And uh, I miss that in the retail aspect of, of selling. Mm, you liked cold calling. I don't know how many people <laughs> that I can say, hang their hat on, <laughs> I miss cold calling. When I didn't have to cold call, I missed it. I don't think that's something a lot of people say. So getting into retail, then you moved back into that business to business space. So what lessons did you extract from that retail sales environment that you actually employed when you worked for NGT? I think it was just being more personable. That was something I struggled with originally in my career path. But being in retail, you have to be personable. Otherwise, you will not be successful. And that's something I kind of carried with me. And I, uh, I learned to kind of develop a sales style of selling myself and making sure that I'm a likable person and uh, earning the trust of a customer opposed to trying to sell them a product. Because I think most people have an idea of what they want anyway. So it's whether or not they trust you and what you're selling. And that's kind of something I learned in the retail world. Mm, that's so good. The likability, the trust factor, because you're right. If I'm walking into a retail store, I can go next door and get the same thing. So why do I stop and say, here's my credit card, buy from me? And a lot of times in the B2B sales world, that doesn't quite translate. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, well, this is what I want to, I want you to buy this, buy this, buy this. It's all about the product. It's all about a feature dump. But it seems like you took the, those key skills you learned in the B2C world and translated them to the B2B world. That's correct. Yeah. I learned pretty quick too at NTT that uh, most of the people that you're pitching and trying to sell know your product better than you do as a sales rep, being that they're all technical and they have to be very, very knowledgeable in what they do. So they're buying, because at NTT, we were selling wholesale internet and that product uh, is something that they need to be well-versed in. So for me to try to speak to them on their level is not something that I could do as a sales rep uh, starting out. So the only really selling point that I had was myself. And I just built my career off of that. Mm, that's good. That's so good. Because a lot of times in our technical realm, I was actually just working with a, a client today. And she was like, but Wesleyan, I don't know this as much as they do. And I don't know this and I don't know that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know your world, they know their world, right? So let them stay in their space and you have to bring value. You have to add things to them so that they're like, okay, this person isn't trying to act like they're the expert, like they know more than me, right? They're really just trying to help me achieve a goal that I want to accomplish. Right, yeah. Um, I've always found too that coming from a sales rep, trying to be technical, trying to engulf yourself into a customer's world, is almost a disservice, right? It comes off kind of shady almost in that you're trying to act as you're involved in their world. Whereas if you have a, a technical person like a sales engineer speaking to what they do, it's almost trusted more. So I mean, it's kind of taking a step back, swallowing it a little bit of pride and just allowing things to organically move forward opposed to trying to overstep and speak about something you don't necessarily know about. Mm. Yeah, like you literally you have to stay in your lane. And so you came from a very different world, accounting than retail. 
and you stepped into this telecom world and somebody saw something in you and they said, oh yeah, you're pretty good at this. We want you too. So how did that marathon eight hour interview, walk me through that process. What was that like? Well, it was kind of intimidating at first. So um, they put me up at a hotel across the street from the, the office. And I walked in kind of expecting to just be greeted, you know, by reception or be sat down and then just go into a room like a traditional interview. And uh, I walked in and I was greeted and they took me around on a tour through a data center, which I was not expecting at all. But uh, Xfernet owns and operates a 10,000 square foot data center. And I've been to a few. I w I've been to New York. I went to 111.8, which is uh, now owned and operated by Google. And the security level at our data center was a lot higher than anything I'd experienced. So that initial aspect of it was pretty intimidating. And then uh, just coming in, I went into the CEO's office and he sat me down. He had a couch in his, in his office. And that was kind of where the interview started. And uh, it threw me off a little bit, just the, the comfortability, this, the, the personability in the interview. But uh, he's extremely friendly, extremely likable, kind of eased any sort of stresses from the get go. And we just started chatting. He was, he was first trying to pick my brain, trying to see how much I understood about the industry, how much I understood about his business versus what NTT offered. I mean, coming from a Fortune 100 company to a company that's not even publicly traded is a huge change in environment, not only in, uh, in status of the company, but also in the customer base that you're targeting. So um, he was trying to grasp whether or not I would be able to make that adjustment and if I'd be successful at his company. So once he was able to determine that, he brought in the CTO who, who picked my brain on a more technical level. Um, we started talking more about the ins and outs of what IP Transit actually was versus peering relationships, which is just a, a different component of the internet. And we talked back and forth on how we could grow the company, if our goals kind of aligned and if it would be a good fit. And then, uh, he just took me out to dinner where we kind of just continued conversations. And uh, yeah, at the end of the day, he ended up extending an offer. So it's almost like um, they, yes, they were interviewing you, but they're kind of trying to sell you too, right? And especially in today's job market where we are, I mean, this is an employee's market, right? I don't even know if that's a coin term, but it is, this is an employee's market. <laughs> so as leaders, when we think about, okay, how can I provide a different experience for a candidate that I know I want? And so maybe it's not like, hey, you come into a hotel and you spend a whole day with us, but really getting to meet with upper leadership and understanding from upper leadership these are our goals. This is our mission. These are our values. Would you say that those things are re of reasons why you decided, hey, I'm going to move on back to California. I'm going to take a different step. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that just how, how much we kind of hit it off from an environment standpoint and just uh, how welcoming, how friendly everything was, how easygoing the environment was, was very appealing to me at the time. Um, it still is. It's still something that I value um, more than anything. And also going through a pandemic at a, at a company, you're always worried on how they're going to handle things. And it's translated, you know, through the years to where my upper management has allowed me to work from home. Um, just been super accommodating to every concern that we've ever had. And just uh, it's really something that they sold and lived up to while being there at the company. Mm. 
So I was the next question I was going to ask you the the difference between that large publicly traded company and your company because again a lot of people are in that transition point in their career where they're looking for something different something new what would you say the pros and cons of both sides are Well I think the pros of uh being at a smaller company is uh probably there's a lot more more freedom to what you're able to do and I say that because you can build case studies you can build how you pitch things whereas when you're at a fortune 100 company it's more scripted they have an idea of how you want to pitch things how they want you to operate how you have to manage certain customers or or whatever it may be in that responsibility i think that that can be deterring unless it fits your sales style to have everything sort of planned out for you for me that is kind of deterring i like to kind of fit my sales style to the customer opposed to just having something kind of planned out and how you approach every single person. I think it's very very subjective and I think that's kind of lost at a at a larger company. You don't you don't have the freedom to be able to talk to people that way. I think a con is always you're you're worried about stability or you're worried about being bought by another company like if there's a merger, if there's an acquisition, how is that going to change my life? am i still going to be employed am i going to be out of a job you know and all of those things go on behind the scenes and you may or may not be privy to it depending on your status at the company and depending on how transparent leadership is with you i think that's probably one of the more bigger concerns i had initially um it's not something that i share now but um the biggest thing is just finding the right fit for you and what what you want in your career path Mm. Yeah, I was speaking with someone who is looking for new people within the organization and what I was talking about to them I'm like, "Hey, you have to remember you're a large enterprise. If you find somebody who's come from like a startup realm or a smaller company, they're used to doing things um marching off their own beat. That doesn't happen here. <laughs> There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of stuff that a salesperson has to go through in order to get something done." So you really want to think about the culture fit. It's not just what you can do, but that culture fit is going to help you get employees and keep them much much longer. Right, yeah, no culture's a, a huge part of it. I mean, uh even at NTT there's a lot of things like you had to dissect each opportunity, uh you had to dissect calls. They uh were part of a Miller-Hyman process if you're familiar with that where you fill out green sheets for for calls and you have to outline what the reason is for having the call. you had blue sheets for opportunities and it's just all of that is extremely valuable if you use it correctly but can be extremely tedious if you're applying it to just like say like an introductory call which you're required to do right but yeah here at Xfernet that's not part of my process there are some elements that I've taken from that and still use but I don't think all of it is applicable or necessary in every single opportunity Oh yeah, one of the great things about sales leadership is you're like I really like this, but I really don't like that. So I'm not going to ever do that again. I'm not going to make my team do right. that because uh it's just so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> mhm. So tell me about your ascent from individual contributor to leader because it seems like it happened pretty quickly with you uh moving to Xfernet. Yeah, so Just starting out, I started out pretty successful at the company. Not nearly as successful as I was hoping to be, but um to say the least, they they were happy with my performance and uh I kind of put together a proposal to uh create a position which was VP of Sales. Um everything kind of operated independently whether that was channel, whether that was just uh 
outside sales or inside sales. And I wanted to kind of put everything under one umbrella and expand um, and start hiring people. So I put together a proposal. I pitched my boss and he was all for it. He was actually thinking of doing something similar to what my proposal was about. But he said he loved the idea and let's just run with it and see where it goes. Mm, Being your own advocate. So often employees, (laughs) people just sit back and they wait for the company to say, okay, there's a new position we've created. But if you never speak up, and use your words and say, this is the vision I have for the organization, then how will you ever be thought of as a leader if you're not thinking about leadership initiatives? So you said, this is the plan I have, this is what I wanna do, and your boss said, go do it. So how did you start building this organization? Starting with, okay, it's me, but I want all of these people. Can you say that again? So how did you go about taking the plan that you gave to your leader to say, I want to make this sales organization? And what were some of the first things that you did to start building out the sales team? So I put together a plan to hire employees. Um, I put together a bunch of ROIs on on when he can see his return on investment. And uh, then I also, I put together a a bunch of training materials, um, a company story, um, started putting together marketing plans um, that I was, I was hoping to accomplish to, to give all sales reps sort of uh, a head start in uh, obtaining the goals that I had set out for them. So I built a, a company story. I built a training deck going over every single um, service that we offered and just sort of presented this all to him to where I was able to implement it just from the start and just, uh, Any person that we onboarded was able to go through these training materials and just have a whole process put in front of them to uh, to hit the ground running and and be successful from day one. Wow. So you really focused on I want to build the house (laughs) before the people actually come. Right. You wanted to give them the infrastructure. And I think that that's something that so many organizations miss. It's like, oh, no, 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 we'll hire all the people and then we'll figure out what they do when they get here. Right. No, I think that's, I mean, it works for some people, right? So, I mean, even when I came on board at Extranet, it wasn't, there wasn't a plan in place. And uh, it was sort of like, here's your desk, uh, get to work kind of ordeal. And uh, I was fortunate to already have a relationship with the CTO. So any questions that I had or any, anything that I felt that I need training on, he was very communicative and, uh, and gave me that opportunity. Um, whereas I don't, I don't think, uh, had it been a different situation where I didn't know him as well as I did, I could have been as successful as I was to start. So I wanted to make sure anybody we onboarded had that opportunity to just start and just be confident in what they were pitching and be successful. So as you've gone through this journey of building this team from scratch and building all their playbooks and collaterals, what are some of the challenges that you had to overcome? Um, I think it's, uh, it's just kind of learning how to work with people because everybody's different. You know, um, you can't treat everybody the same. Some people like, uh, like tough encouragement. They like to be called out on what they, what they're doing wrong. Some people like just uh, positive reinforcement. Um, I think that that has been my, my biggest struggle is trying to learn how to speak to everybody. Because if you treat everybody the same, then you're going to fail and people, you're going to have a lot of churn in your organization. So trying to understand that in training, I think uh, 
focusing on on where people are not understanding everything and focus more heavily on that has been a little difficult. And then just being able to provide assistance while while doing my my own job as well. So I like to accompany sales reps on on phone calls whenever uh, they need support, and also just continue doing my job. So balancing everything has has been mm. a bit of a struggle, but uh, making it work. Yeah, and one of the things that I really love to say is that every salesperson is an individual. And because they're all individuals, every single person on the team needs to have their customized coaching plan. So you as a leader know how to best show up and serve them to help them achieve their goals. And it seems like very early on, you realized that and you adjusted your style for each person on the team. Yeah, no, I like to, uh, I like to ask people what it is that they're really trying to accomplish in life, not in the company. And, uh, like for one example, I had a rep who wanted to buy a home in a year. So I broke everything down, asked him how much the home would cost, how much money he wanted to put down, and uh, just kind of laid it out. And I said, okay, well, here's your goal for the month. I'm like, don't worry about your quota because your quota is less than what you need to hit to be able to accomplish this in a year. And I said, so if this is what you want to accomplish, then go ahead, let's work towards it. Let's find a way to make it happen. And uh, people are, are more receptive to achieving something that means something to them than being motivated by fear. If you don't hit your quota, you're going to be fired kind of motivation is it works, but I don't think it's the best way to approach managing people. So like I said, with this particular instance, he had a goal in mind to buy a home, which would have put him at 150% to quota anyway. So why not make that his goal? Mm, that's powerful. That is powerful. You have had such a diverse career from accounting to retail sales to really creating your own team. What is the thing that you are most excited about having accomplished either personally or professionally in your life? That's a tough question. I'd say probably personally just being a father. So I have two kids. I like to think that I'm teaching them the things that I wish that I had when I was a child and helping them grow into a responsible and uh, just healthy person. So I think right now my one-year-old, it's a little tough to tell, but my five-year-old, she displays uh, quite a bit of those characteristics that I was hoping would, would come out in her. So she's, she's very ambitious. She loves to learn. She's athletic. She just yelled at me the other day. It was our day off from exercising. And she said, even though it's your day off, you need to be active. So <laughs> it's just those, those little things that, that stick out to you or um, I talked to my kids quite a bit about what's going on in my life. And uh, there was a deal that I was losing. And uh, my daughter just tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's just money, daddy. And, wow. Uh, you just, you got to listen to them. Yeah. And uh, understand what's important and try not to let things impact you the way that they may initially and just sort of take a step back. And uh, I'd say that's probably my, my most proud Love it, love it, love it. Your children, your legacy, that is the thing that you are most proud of. That's amazing. My my son gives me those little bits and pieces too. I'll get off of calling him like, so mommy, what's this about? What's that about? Um, so I love, I love, I love the little people. Gary, this conversation has been amazing. If people want to get in contact with you, what is the one best way? Either LinkedIn or, or email is uh, the easiest and, and best way to get in touch with me. 
Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your experience with us on the Transform Sales Podcast. We have definitely been enriched by learning from you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in everything that you do, focus on the transformation within your sales organization. Until next time.